0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry Award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And today we are speaking with Mark Brown, multi-Emmy Award-winning author and illustrator of Arthur, which is coming up on its 45th year in print and for the TV show, 25 years on the air. He's here today to talk about his new book, Celebrating Those Milestones, Believe in Yourself, What We Learned from Arthur, which releases on January 25th. We are so excited to have you with us today. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm excited to be with you. (laughs) Uh, And I'm excited about the new book and lots to celebrate. It's a big year.
0: (laughs) It's a huge year for you. So I'm I'm sure people know, but in case anybody doesn't, so this is, now that it's turned January, this is the 46th year since Arthur went to print. Is that right?
1: That's right. Well, it's actually 45 for the books and 25 for the television show.
0: Like that's huge. <laughs> Nobody does that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought two years if I was lucky. In honor of those anniversaries, you've put out a new book. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I was I was looking for a way to celebrate both of these anniversaries together. And it's probably the closest thing I'm gonna come to a memoir. So it gave me a chance to look back and see things that kind of resonated with me over the years from the shows and the books and and put them together for an audience that was completely new to me. I, I I wrote this book for adults and kids, adults who grew up with my books but now had kids. and And so that was completely unique. And it gave me an opportunity to talk to people about where... Arthur came from, and a little bit about how the books uh, evolved and the television show. So, you know, it was a way to share with people a a lot of the things that I'm able to do when I go out and and speak somewhere. So that was satisfying.
0: I was wondering, given that you have, you know, nearly 50 years of work to choose from, how did you pick the quotes that went into the book?
1: That was... A collaborative effort with my editor, Andrea Spooner, at Little Brown. And we just had so much material to work with, both with the books and the television show. So we were trying to look for moments that were teaching moments, I guess. And, and, and that's how we arrived at what we put into the book. those details from real life, that's what I'm always looking for when I write or uh, a, a book or work on a TV show. Kids, kids want to know where these ideas come from. And I, I tell them, I, real life, every day, we have stories around us. We just have to keep our ears open, our eyes open, and, and find them and then have fun with them, retelling them.
2: You've been doing this for so long, and obviously Arthur's gone through some changes, but at a certain point he became kind of a set character. What? How have you felt your audience has changed? Are there, do kids have different concerns now than they had when you started? I think, you know, so
1: many of the stories that we've done with Arthur and his friends are subjects that are not going to go away. Things are, I'm proud of that, I, you know, for television I couldn't do in a book like headlights, asthma, dealing with a friend that has cancer, or a, a, an older relative that develops Alzheimer's, you know, we, we tackled a lot of things that I couldn't necessarily do in a book on, in television. And so that felt satisfying. But you know what concerns me now, and I haven't quite figured out how to deal with it, but I'm working on it. It's the influence of social media in children's lives. That's something that's changed and that's new. And I, I see how much trouble it can cause. It can be fun. It can be informative. And it can also be devastatingly disruptive in a child's life. And so that's something I'm looking at right now.
0: That actually answers a question that I had planned to ask you, which was, you know, you've, you've spanned so many years of working on this, but I can only assume that your brain kind of gets to a point where you're coming up with ideas all the time. And I wondered if there were, you know, <laughs> issues that you hadn't been able to cover yet that you wished you had.
1: Well, uh, that brings up my future at the moment. You know, we're, we're looking for ways to extend what we've done with Arthur through new forms of media, and that's going to be fun. But i For many years now, since I began working with television, I I wanted to do something for younger kids, for preschoolers. And so that's what I'm working on right now. It's a a television show called Hop, uh, animated. And my son Tolan, who heard the first (laughs) Arthur story as a bedtime story, and has been one of the producers on Arthur for over 20 years, He and I are working on this along with Peter Hirsch, who has been the head writer on Arthur since its inception. And we have been developing this new show for the past couple of years, and I'm I'm really excited about it. And I had no idea how much more fun it is working with preschoolers. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm on parole.
2: (laughs) There a whole world inside each one of them. I mean, it's kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, it is. And the things that interest them and this uh, hops world is without any adults. It's, it's, It's a fun focus on the power of friendship and kindness and what we can all do together if we put our minds to it.
0: That is lovely, lovely. And I love that story. I've read it in a couple of places of how Arthur came to be. I was telling Jenny earlier that it's, it's interesting because the show happened, like the show started, I think in, in 1993. Is that correct?
1: Ninety-six, I think.
0: Ninety-six. So Jenny and I, at that point, were, were about 16. So we were just at the exact wrong age ever to watch the show. But now yeah. now that we're parents ourselves, it's it's kind of hitting the sweet spot because our kids are the age that your son was when you came up with Arthur. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> um,
2: Well, I would like yeah. to add in a... I would like to add an addendum to that. I I did watch it, even though
1: it was 16. Um, We We do things with uh, writing the scripts. We we always look for ways to entertain the parents or the caregivers because we, we want kids to have conversations with their parents. You know, a book or a TV show is an opportunity to share your values with your child and when something happens in a story you and you're not quite happy with it it's an opportunity to tell your child what you believe and what you think is important about that so yeah who knew that this little group of characters would span a whole generation like this i i had no idea that would happen
0: well, and that's kind of the beauty of the new book in my opinion. Like it works very nicely just to read through if you're an Arthur fan, but it seems like a really good reference point for parents. Hmm. Like you can you can be like, "Oh, you're having this issue. Well, here's this nice little nugget about it, but it also references like a whole, you know, book or or TV episode that would then elaborate on that issue, so it's very helpful for talking to your kids."
1: So that's interesting to hear. I didn't have that, you know, as an intention with the book, but I can see what you're saying. I'm, I'm glad that you cited that. That's really helpful.
0: I mean, just looking, I mean, I've only had the book for a few days and I, I read through it yesterday, but that was like, The first thing that immediately struck me was sometimes as a parent, you know, when you're little, you think your parents know everything, but as a parent, you're like, oh, how am I going to deal with this? And it's nice to just be like, oh, someone has already been talking about it. And it's a show that my kids enjoy already. So it makes it so much easier to just have a discussion.
1: I think the, the one of the nice things about Arthur, when it went from books to television, I felt so strongly that it had to be an ensemble cast and that even though the show was called Arthur, every one of the characters in his world was just as important. And I think that's that's what makes it resonate with kids. It feels real.
2: Going back a little bit to the origins of Arthur, mm-hmm. he looked a little bit different, of course, in his first book. And and he's he's evolved, but one thing that's kind of seemed the same is stayed partially the same is the color of his shirt. Can you talk a little (laughs) bit about about (laughs) uh, developing Arthur's signature outfit? Because he does stay in a yellow shirt. He's like in a yellow shirt all the way through, but it changes. It's a
1: yellow sweater. Let's clear Mm -hmm. this up right Mm -hmm. now. I
2: had a yellow
1: sweater. It was my favorite sweater. I don't know what happened to it. It's gone, but. At the time, it was a favorite sweater I had. And so Arthur got the sweater and you know, he will always be eight years old. He won't have to worry about taking the SATs, getting <laughs> into college. It's a pretty good life being in third grade. Okay,
2: well, I was, yeah, it it is. I was I was curious about that because I've always thought since because I was I read the books when I was a kid, right? I always thought that he was wearing like a bowling shirt on the front the <laughs> and looking
1: for the bowling
2: alley, and he never found
1: it. <laughs> hey, so that's thought- a new episode. <laughs>
2: I'm glad to know it's always been a sweater. It's just the the design changed a little bit until it landed on his very spiffy V-neck. <laughs> yeah. The other question I have about some of the early Arthur process is I read that you hid your two sons' names in an Arthur book as a way to distract them initially and then you've continued well, to was do a game.
1: Yeah, they were in my studio. I was trying to work and finish this book, Arthur's Eyes at the time. and you know they were throwing my art supplies around and I was trying to calm them down. so I said, okay, we're gonna play a game. Close your eyes. And I'll tell you when you can open them. And then, well, they had their eyes closed. I hid their names in the artwork that was spread out on my studio floor. And I said, okay, open your eyes. Now you have to find your names somewhere <laughs> in all of these pictures. And it took them a long time. And I thought, okay, this is a good game. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> <laughs> and now kids love it too. So it's, it's really fun to share the, the game with, with so many kids.
2: Is that only in your Arthur books? Yes. Okay. We're big fans of Wings on Things and Zuzical here, and I didn't know if I had missed it. (laughs) I'm so glad you
1: Zuzical was such a fun book to do. I I love collaborating with Judy Sierra. I think she writes some wonderful books that are so much fun to read to kids out loud. And I I just wrote her the other day. I said, Judy—
2: don't you have any new stories that we can elaborate on? <laughs> Zuzical in particular is yeah. just, it's a top a top pick in my house for years. I'm glad so, to hear that. Yeah.
1: Right now in my studio, I'm finishing up a book with R.L. Stein, Ooh. who is a, a good buddy. We met on Air Force One, oh flying gosh. to Moscow with Laura Bush. How's that for a story? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We were both invited uh, to go over to Russia. Mrs. Putin, when Putin was married, wanted to replicate what Laura Bush was doing with her literacy initiative here in, in the country, in the Library of Congress. So we got to fly on Air Force One, which was a big thrill, and then spend a week in Moscow. And we spoke to kids with interpreters. I did a lot of drawings. And then one night we were invited to the Kremlin to have dinner with President Putin. I still can't believe it happened. You know, it was in this enormous room that was covered with gold leaf. And it was a party for librarians in Russia. So it was kind of quiet. And first ladies from all over the world were there and each of them gave a toast and And a little speech. And after each one of their speeches, we had to drink a little glass of vodka. (laughs) So we got we got a little silly. (laughs) Uh, And then I felt this tap on my shoulder. I was at a table next to President Putin and Laura Bush was behind me. And she said, Mark, would you like me to bring President Putin over so you can meet him? I said, yeah. So there he is, you know, and we got to talk, and I remember him wearing a very nice suit, and after our conversation, Bob Stein said to me, Mark, what's that music the band is playing? It sounds familiar, And I listened to it, and I said, Bob, that's hang on, Sloopy. (laughs) This
0: this story keeps getting more and more amazing.
1: (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to stop. You know, the the hotel, uh, we were on the same floor in the hotel with Laura Bush, and there were Secret Service people almost every 10 feet. And they had cordoned off a special elevator for us to go up and down to our rooms. Uh, it, It was pretty. And I remember so clearly the day we left Moscow and driving to the airport. Imagine one of the busiest cities in the world. And you're in this motorcade and the traffic just opens up in front of you. It's like slicing it with a scalpel and you drive through it. The airport. I mean, I had never experienced anything like it. Wow,
0: that's like a once in a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really. I mean, uh, it's all because of Arthur. He's taken
1: me (laughs) on these amazing adventures. (laughs) Go to the White House and have Barbara Bush give you a tour uh, of the White (laughs) House, and then take you upstairs for breakfast and show you every room that the President and his family lives in. That was pretty incredible.
2: You know, R.L. Stein is is very well known as well, uh, but for a different (laughs) style of children's book, uh, usually pretty gory and scary. And your art. How many art, I- has he killed off now? <laughs> All it's of got them. The body count. Body count's got to be thousands at this okay, point. Okay, I'm
1: sorry. you. You were going with this really good question.
2: Oh no no no! <laughs> so, and your art style is not gory and scary. So what? No. Uh, what is the project that you're working on? It, it's a. It's a really. Fun,
1: we. I wanted to change, the format of a joke book for young kids. And we came up with the idea of why did the monster cross the road? But it's really a story about Honey and Funny, who are good friends. And Funny is trying to cheer Honey up. He's in a sad mood. And he tries doing it by uh, telling jokes. But in the end, that's not what makes Honey laugh. And I'm not going to spoil the ending. But, you know, I never... I thought about collaborating with with Bob when I first met him, but we became friends, and we were out one night uh, for dinner with our wives, and we were waiting for the salads to arrive, and I, I don't know why I got this idea. I said, Bob, have you ever thought about writing a picture book? And he said, no, and I said, gee, it might be fun to collaborate on something someday. I said, so keep it in mind. And he did come up with an idea called uh, Little Shop of Monsters, which was a lot of fun for me to illustrate all these. It, it like, unleashed this part of me I didn't know was there. Drawing monsters. (laughs) And... And as I drew them, I realized, where are they coming from? Oh, my God, it's my gym teacher from high school. It's my former agent. <laughs> it's my accountant. These are all monsters I had known in my life. So, yeah, Bob said, uh, okay, let's do a, a book together. But, Mark, why would you really want to do this? You have such a good reputation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> why would you want to work with me? <laughs> well, I'm very excited to to see this. It's That sounds right up my my alley. Yes, it does. (laughs)
1: Yes. It's fun. And and I'm doing uh, a different uh, technique. I'm working with collage and cut paper and painting the papers. So, I mean, I'm very proud of the artfulness in this book. Uh, It it elevates uh, joke books, I think, in that way.
2: So, anyway... We'll see what happens. You never know. In your books, you have Arthur and his world, his family, his friends, his school. But on the TV show, you actually had some real-life figures show up, like John Lewis. And I was curious if you were involved in the character design of those um, guest guest
1: spots. That's the best part of my job, turning people into animals. (laughs) (laughs) And some of them are already animals to begin with, but, you know. Uh, But but you cite John Lewis, and he's been one of my heroes. Uh, And the way John Lewis came to Arthur, I I was at an autographing party um, in Washington, D.C. at, at the National Press Club. And there were adult authors, children's authors, and at a table away from me was sitting John Lewis. And there was a little lull in my autographing duties. And so I went over and introduced myself and said that I did this show on PBS with Arthur. And would he ever consider being one of our guests on the show and talking to kids about standing up for something that you believe in? And I think that got him. And so he he did this show with us, and I am so grateful. I, it's one of my proudest moments that I could secure him for the show. You know, you know, we never knew where these guest stars were going to come from, like Yo-Yo Ma with a parent who was in a carpool with one of the people who worked on the show. And so that's how we got to him. Uh, Matt Damon's mom was one of our editors, uh, uh, one of the people, the experts that we would use to check out all of our facts and make sure that they were appropriate for kids. And, you know, if we were telling a certain story in a way that was helpful and, ho- and how to maximize that. So I don't know, We we found out she was Matt Damon's mom. And <laughs> Next thing Matt knew, he was on TV, and I turned him into a little bear. He was a bear.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, you had collaborated with so many different people. I mean, from from Ziggy Marley to the Backstreet Boys yeah. to, to Isaac Asimov. I mean, was there anybody that you yeah. especially enjoyed working with?
1: Joan Rivers.
0: Really? She oh, I don't Francine.
2: think I knew about that. That's, That's amazing. amazing.
1: Oh, she, she played Francine's uh, Bubby, her grandmother, uh, and she said two two episodes. I did not get to go to the recording session, but my son Tolan went, and he said, "Oh my God, Dad, there was so much stuff that we can't use that
0: was so funny." <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she was hilarious. I, I just I, I I miss her humor. I mean, sometimes it got a little difficult, but um, she <laughs> she was just a naturally funny person.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. So if you were in charge of the character design, you would decide which animal the. Guests yeah. Are for? What did you have a process to go through, or are you just like think about that person and think of their essence, and then like Matt Damon's a bear.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to vary it a little bit, but I was limited, you know, mostly with ears. What can I do with ears? Except for Art Garfunkel, I, we did get a little adventures and I turned him into a moose. <laughs> and we got Art, but I always wished that we could have also gotten Paul Simon, because I, I really love his music. And But I think, you know, the first person I got to turn into an animal was Fred Rogers, Oh wow! One of our first guest stars, and I remember the day that I met Fred. I had to fly to Pittsburgh along with other people working on the show, and I got stuck in a traffic jam in Boston going to Logan Airport, and I missed my flight. And I was, I was so distressed and. I got to the desk at the date where I was supposed to leave, and the woman at the counter said, may I help you? I said, I've got to get to Pittsburgh. I have an appointment with Mr. Rogers. She said, the Mr. Rogers? I said, yeah, the Mr. Rogers. And she said, well, just a minute. And she started (laughs) clicking away on her computer, and before I knew it, I was on the next flight to Pittsburgh, and she put me in first class. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But that's where the story begins. So I got to Fred's studio, and the receptionist said, they're all at lunch. Just go down to the end of the hallway, and that's Fred's office. You can go in and wait for him there. So I got to the door, I opened it, and there was Fred sitting on his sofa. And he said, Mark, I've been waiting for you. And all the tension of the morning just melted away. And I knew that he had just lost his piano player, Johnny Costa. So I took him the book that Laurie and I worked on together, When Dinosaurs Die. Laurie has written some really terrific books for families about difficult subjects, death and divorce. So I gave him the book. He said, oh, Mark, I love this book. I use it with families all the time. And then he, he hugged Arthur. And we had this wonderful day together and walking around his studio and showing me how all of the puppets worked and the sets worked and talking about using television in helpful ways for kids. And at the end of the day, I was leaving and said goodbye and i walking down that hallway again. And I heard this little voice behind me,
2: Mark, Mark.
1: And I turned around and Fred had opened his door just a crack. And out popped Arthur's head, and he was using him as a puppet. And he said, don't worry about me, Mark. I'll be just fine. And, you know, that was – I have so many stories about working with Fred. Then he came to my studio in Hingham to do a show about demystifying animation for kids. And we had a wonderful day together. We invited Michael Yarmish, who was the first voice of Arthur, to join us. But we had a, a moment alone while the crew was setting up. And Fred came over, and he had this way of reaching into somebody's soul. And the first thing he said to me, I don't know how he knew this. He said, Mark, tell me about your grandma, Thora. And I started to tear up because she was an amazing person in my life growing up. She believed that I could do this kind of stuff, even when I didn't. She saved all my art in her bottom dresser drawer. And, you know, I told Fred about it. And he said, oh, she sounds a lot like my grandpa McFeely. He was that person in my life. And then he said to me something which really uh, helped me find the title for this book. He said, every child needs just one person in their life to believe in them. And that's how some kids make it in this world. And, you know, I thought about teachers and how for many kids, they're that one person in a child's life who believes in them. And so You know, the book kind of sprang from not only the theme song, but from that moment with Fred.
0: I know that you're often asked about your friendship with him, but I think one of my favorite bits of advice from Mr. Rogers is to, in bad times, to look for the helpers.
1: Yes, yes. And
0: And aren't we in bad times? We are in bad times, but I have to say, in reading through your book, that's what occurred to me, because I really feel like you are one of the helpers. And I really uh, well, that's the biggest
1: compliment I could ever hear. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It's as a parent now, like we need all the help we can get and this this is a help. This is really a help.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: I worked at a children's bookstore for ten years. And it was always very clear that like the energy and the the questions that the kids bring to a live session with an author or an artist kind of can take the author in totally unexpected but really lovely directions. So I wondered if our years with COVID now have impacted your creative process because you can't go in person anymore to talk to the kids.
1: I miss that a lot. I remember my last school visit about two years ago now, you know, it was, it was the February right before everything got so dark and scary. Uh, and I went back to my hometown, Erie, Pennsylvania, and I spoke at two elementary schools there and I had such a good time. I had no idea, you know, that I was going to have to hold on for those, (laughs) to those moments for so long but occasionally now I've been able to go to a library or two and you know as long as we keep our distance okay. um it, it's it's been it's been nice to do that but so many wonderful book events have been canceled because of covid and so uh, yeah it's a different time but I, I do miss the questions that kids ask and you know Arthur's underwear never would have never would exist
2: without it's asking over and over and over again right? <laughs> about Arthur's underwear. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got a treat so, for you because I've got some questions from my five-year-old. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, we were looking. Uh, we were looking at an Arthur book. We were looking at Arthur's computer, uh-huh. and she had some questions about. Okay, so. If if a character doesn't have any hair, like Francine and DW have hair, does that uh-huh. mean that they're bald or they have like a really close haircut? <laughs> they fur. They have fur. <laughs>
1: uh, and, you know, that leads me to one of the questions a, a very astute child asked me. You know, you never know what's going to happen at these events when kids raise their hand. I, I love that. And, and so this little boy raised his hand and he said, Mr. Brown, how does Arthur keep his glasses
2: on? Because he doesn't have, they don't hook up to his ears. I swear, uh, that, so, I, I swear that was the next question that she had for me to ask. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I've got, a, I've got an answer. Velcro.
1: Velcro.
2: <laughs> <laughs> She will understand that and be delighted by it but I may find her putting, I may find her putting velcro on her head so
1: <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah,
2: you can stick anything onto your head with velcro <laughs> thank you very much she's gonna be beyond thrilled well, um,
0: and, well and I've seen memes about the, the Arthur glasses thing so I was wondering if you if you appreciate how popular like Arthur is that he's inspiring still like me and and you that I, I, the kids go back to their
1: childhood for these memories and play with them. I, I, I'm starting to get invitations to speak at colleges. And you know, I, I when I would go to a school that was like um, K through 12 small schools, I'd be in the library talking to a group of, of second and third graders, and I would see the high school kids coming over, slowly creeping across the library and like hanging close to our group and (laughs) wanting to be a part of it, which is such an honor. So, you know, that's, it's really interesting that kids, older kids want to go back and be there and be relive that part of their, their childhood.
0: I mean, even, you know, adults and young adults, I mean, I've heard I'm sure you must have heard it the the amazing cover of the theme song of the show by Chance the Rapper.
1: Oh, I love the way his version of
2: the theme song. It's so dreamy. It is. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's just, it's so beautiful. I have a very very important question that just occurred to me. I hope it's okay to ask this. Oh, you can ask anything. The second okay. grader one once asked me
1: Mr. Brown, if you're famous, how come you aren't dead? Oh God! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what's your question? I have a
2: second Um, grader, so I totally get that. (laughs) So, uh, my question is is a little less macabre, um, (laughs) but I don't think I'll ever in my life be able to talk to someone who has actually visited the set of the Mister Rogers Show. So, and you specifically mentioned the puppets. Is Miss Elaine Fairchild as horrifying in real life as she is? on the tv yeah yeah yes i always found those puppets a little scary (laughs) as as i
1: do the big-headed arthur and dw that walk around and i why what makes kids hug them you know they're scary
0: and and i have to say having worked in a bookstore for a long time where we get a lot of those kinds of visits the suits the suits are gross (laughs) like- <laughs> they are.
1: I know. I, I try to get rid of them whenever I can't. Whenever someone asks me, do you mind if we have the, you know, the big Arthur visit with you? Uh, no, keep him away
2: <laughs> from me. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't want to you. be near that person. <laughs> thank you. I you know, I've been scared I was scared of Lady Elaine Fairchild, like so such such a big fear of her when I was a little and kid. And rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I was curious if it was just like maybe the lighting or something, but it it makes me feel better that I had that good insight. I I mean,
1: even the the hazy Doris Day lens wouldn't help her.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not even the white diamond Elizabeth Taylor lens.
0: (laughs) I was just wondering, I really like the end papers in the new book. And I was wondering, are those drawings from students that you've talked to? Thank you. Thank you. Uh,
1: that was the first thing I thought of when I had the opportunity to do this book uh, because I have been collecting kids' art for 40 years now. I have drawers full of it here in my studio. And that was something that I wanted to do uh, with this book was to put them in the end papers and celebrate them because what I see from these every you know, all these drawings of Arthur they all have the same components, but each one is unique, just like kids. And that's what I wanted to do with those end papers was to show kids viewpoints and, and perspectives of, of Arthur. You know, each one is so beautifully unique, and I love the the way they just rip off this great art so effortlessly. Yeah, thank you for noticing that. I, I just closed the show up at the Fenimore Art Museum in Cooperstown, New York, where my wife, Lori, who is also an artist but studied uh, to be a psychologist and, and worked at Harvard uh, after she did her doctorate there with Howard Gardner. You might know him. He um, had that wonderful theory about children's, how we measure children's intelligence and how primitive it is. And this theory that we have kids who are spatial thinkers and musical thinkers and kids who dance and visual thinkers. And we aren't measuring that form of genius, you know. So anyway, Laurie worked with him and co-directed Project Zero at Harvard. And where am I going with this? (laughs) No. So, yeah, we both had these shows up at the Cooperstown Museum, the Fenimore. And the thing I felt strongly about and they let me do was when you walked into my gallery, I had a whole wall built so that I could put these images of kids art up there. And behind the wall was a table with chairs where kids could draw and they could listen to Arthur's stories and Aww. and be inspired. You know, because that's what my goal is when I talk to kids at a school. I want to share my love for what I do. And hopefully it's contagious.
2: I think it is. Well, I would say it's <laughs> contagious and reciprocated greatly. Yes.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. It has been so much fun talking to you today. We're so grateful that you too. had time.
2: <laughs> yes. Thank, thank you, you so much.
0: Uh, Yeah, okay. My
1: next Zoom call isn't going to be as much fun, so I will savor this for
2: the entire day. We've been talking with the amazing Mark Brown, the creator, of course, of Arthur and illustrator of many, many books and the creator of the Arthur TV show. Please rate and review us on whatever platform you listen. It helps others find the podcast and helps us keep going.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is NewberryTart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot